Hello, and welcome to another episode of Resting Batch Face, the only reality TV recap podcast where one of the hosts spent the first night of Passover imagining Mark Wahlberg as Moses, bringing the plagues of <laughs> Egypt upon Kendall, and demanding that he let Erica go. I am Dan Paul, joined as always by my partner in podcasting crime, Gwen Kirby. Gwen, how are you doing today? I mean, amen, Daniel Paul, amen. I am doing well. It's uh, it's a somber episode of Temptation Island here. It is, and it actually raises a question that is unanswerable, which is sort of like, when we watch stupid television, do we actually just want it to be stupid? Or do we want them to give us like real human interaction that we have been demanding up until this point? This episode was quite a test case in that. So there's a lot to get to, but we're also probably at around the three-fourths mark of the entire season. And as we head to what will no doubt be the dramatic conclusion, we wanted to both recap the episode and reset to a certain extent by asking what we think are kind of the big questions that are going to decide the outcome for these couples as well as from our viewing experience going forward. And there's nowhere that we can possibly start except with Kristen and Julian. And our last episode, for those of you who remember, ended with the pretty exploitative tease that her brother had died and started with the beginning of that confession as a previously on before a hard pivot into, you're not going to tempt me. But as a way to talk about kind of everything that happened with Kristen and Julian in this episode, reflecting on not only the death of her brother, who we find out was Julian's best friend, but also the way in which that event fit into their relationship and more or less kept them from breaking up after he had cheated on her. The question that I have, is this experience actually good for them? Daniel, it's a very confusing time when one has to feel like Temptation Island is doing the good work. But yeah, I think so. I mean, it seems like they are admitting to a lot of stuff that um, they've never talked about before. And I think that that's, that's good. I, I don't think I would recommend Wal- Mark Wahlberg become a therapist. He might want to like pause between devastating questions while he asks them. I, I don't know if therapy is supposed to be quite so rapid fire. But yeah, I don't know, Daniel Paul. I felt like this was kind of a, a big turning point episode for their relationship. And I'm, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, and it's interesting whether the turning point will be they realize that the foundation that they're staying together on is ultimately unsustainable, right? And it's something that I feel fortunate I can't really relate to, having a relationship that is forged in and bound by trauma in the way that theirs is. And maybe it will be a turning point in them realizing that they do want to stay together and they just have to address the sort of unspoken issues that are underneath their relationship. One thing that I was thinking of, which is maybe much more cynical, and it just has to do with an unanswerable question about how this show is produced, is do you think that they, the producers knew any of this? Or they were just sitting back when Kristen just decides she's going to reveal this secret from like that she hasn't spoken about in five years, and they were just like, oh my god, we struck gold with these kids. I was wondering the same thing, and I don't have a good answer for it. I mean... On the one hand, I don't think Kristen like said that in her application interview. But on the other hand, you got to think that they like research these people, right? I mean, if you're like 
trying to plot how to torment someone, don't you look into their past? But I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I have no, I have no good answer to this. My answer is maybe they knew. Well, let me flip that question in another way, because a question that I kind of now have is, are the producers kind of rooting for these crazy kids? Because I was noticing, if you think about the bonfire clips that they were shown in this episode, and it's basically they're each shown the other processing the same thing that they are processing, it would be pretty easy for them to find a random out-of-context clip of one of them having fun with somebody of the opposite sex proximate. And they didn't do that at all. And so it seems like the rare moment where the best interests of the humans involved is actually better television than just kind of chaotic sadism. I was thinking about that too, because I, you know, I feel, I feel distressed when I realize I've become emotionally invested in the relationships on Temptation Island. And we were going into that second bonfire and I was like, do not fuck with these kids. Don't you do it. Don't fuck with them. And, and they didn't, like you said, they, they showed clips that were like, that showed they were in the same place. I think maybe like, would it be a step too far for viewers, right? Like if the producers are trying to decide, what do we do with this relationship? Are they like, all right, she found her dead brother's body. Maybe there would be a revolt if we like decided to psychologically torment her further, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to like ascribe the high ground to the temptation Island producers, but I'm just saying. In your defense, I'll say two things in terms of becoming emotionally invested, which is certainly not what we anticipated or really set out to do. One, I think this giant Aquaman shaped human bursting into tears thinking about the promise he made to his best friend that he would take care of her sister his sister i think is legitimately moving and b is also the kind of thing straight out of like a world war one romance novel and therefore like right up your wheelhouse in terms of uh in terms of of how it was likely to make you sympathize with them it's true. I love a love story. And if like the Duke of Fufflepuff who only attained that title because of the sudden and unexpected death of his elder brother, then had to, you know, in an arranged marriage, marry his dead brother's fiance to keep her from the hands of evil Marquess. I can't think of a fake name. I would be like, yeah, I'm so in that love story. So yeah, no, I want their love story. I love gentle Aquaman. That rolled kind of off your tongue pretty easily. That that pretty elaborate, <laughs> the pretty elaborate romance sequence. Yeah, it's really it, what is becoming interesting. I mean, with so many of these couples, right? It's like the reasons for going make no sense because the show itself makes no sense. And this is a weird situation where it seems like this environment, for whatever reason, is conducive to some kind of really amateur therapy, which appears to be preferable to simple, just ongoing denial and silence. So the thing that becomes interesting about them is less even what is going to happen with them and more like, at least to me, the curiosity of like, what on earth were their reasons for coming in the first place that so then accidentally led to this grappling with things they needed to grapple with? I at least feel like I have a sense of why Kristen made them go because I stand by my initial assessment that she wanted to use us as a tool to get out of the relationship. But now 
like things are breaking open for me. And I guess, you know, we could talk about this after this portion of the podcast, but for me, uh, the real couple that I'm beginning to ask that question for is Tom and Chelsea. We can move on to them because that, that is the second question that I have for them. And the first question I have, and this one is, is more sort of conventionally dramatic is who's going to break first because they're, they're each playing this game of chicken. They totally are. Where, Chelsea is getting closer to Blake. Thomas is getting closer to Sophia's butt <laughs> in this episode in particular. And they're each seeing the other ones make those moves and using that as a justification to push further on. So my first question for you, and then we can get to the second question of what on earth they are doing there. But who do you think breaks first? Great question. I am not sure. So at the end of this episode, we see Tom kind of start to like lose it a little. He sees her like cuddling in the pool with uh, Blake aside. She's now just totally all in on Blake, which I'm still like, I'm still confused about, but she's moved on. So must I. Um, And Tom is like tearing up. He's like, I didn't think she would do anything. Mind you, she hasn't done anything yet except for cuddled with this guy in the pool. And Tom, you were writing your name on Sophia's ass earlier this week. so I have that section written up in the question, what is happening with Tom's face? <laughs> it reminded me of the moment in Doctor Strange, where Doctor Strange is confronting the bad guy, whose name I forget, but played by Mads Mikkelsen, and whose eyes are covered and just sort of like are surrounded in purple paint of some kind. And Mads Mikkelsen, who's a fairly charismatic, convincing guy is making the case for evil. And Dr. Stranger's response is, I mean, that's sort of compelling, but on the other hand, look at your face. (laughs) You're clearly a bad guy. And like, this is actually, or again, not to continue just with dorky references, Tom's face, for those of you who didn't see this episode, his eyes looked like Hayden Christensen in the third Star Wars prequel at the moment that we understood he was pivoting to become Darth Vader. And he even said the words like they asked him in the in the car on the ride home from the bonfire, what do you feel? And he said, hurt and rage. rage. <laughs> Which is like hurt and rage. Yeah. I, I wanna I wanna I wanna see that band. I mean, poor one out for hurt and rage. His <laughs> eyes reminded me of um I've been re-watching the beginning of Archer, because, you know, rest in peace, Jessica Walter. Indeed. And there's in the second episode, she has an allergic reaction where her eyes just become kind of like these puffy pink buttholes, basically. And that was what I thought of of Tom's face. They get they get deeply pink. But I think for me to to go back to your excellent question and at least attempt to provide an answer, I think Chelsea is going to break first. Because I think Chelsea has the excuse in her mind that she is forming a romantic connection. That it's not just that she wants to write her name on his ass. It's that like he is a good dude who's helping her grow. And that's like the bullshit they're being fed, right? That like if you're developing a relationship with someone else, you're growing and that's good. And so I feel like she can spin it like, hey, Tom is just a flirtatious horn dog. I'm developing an emotional connection so I can like jump up on it. But I think... Conversely, I think Tom will be the first one to actually have sex with someone else. I don't know. I'm just throwing those out there. How do you how do you respond to that, Dan? I mean, it's the Wild West out there. You know, she said, I think he thought I was going to sit in the corner and not talk to anyone. 
and he saw me having fun and now he's using this as an excuse to live his bachelor life. Was that his plan? And I think yes. And I think that the betrayals are just at a different level in that the betrayal that Tom senses is an acute one. And I think the betrayal that Chelsea is realizing is a chronic one. Mm. That she's realizing that his behavior here is symptomatic of the way that there's something fundamentally wrong in their relationship. Whereas Tom is seeing her make a departure from what he saw was a relationship that was functioning in that he got what he wanted from it. So I do think, while I have no idea who's going to shoot first, I think that she is going to shoot in a way that is much more fundamentally disruptive to their relationship, at, at least in her eyes. Whereas I think Tom totally thinks he's fine to just put his hands on the booty and have there be no consequences. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if we were going to attempt to answer the unanswerable question of why the fuck did these people come to this island, it's that maybe Tom thought he was going to prove some point about his flirtiness, that she could like watch him get his hands on the booty, but he was never going to you know, like there's that, there's that moment where Sophia's making the push where she's like kissing his face, like every bit of his face, frankly, aggressively. Like if a dude was pulling that on a woman, you'd be like, what? Like that's over the line. I thought that was over the line. But I think in Tom's mind, like as long as he doesn't kiss her on the lips, he's proving to Chelsea that her concerns about his flirtatiousness are unfounded. I mean, one thing he said, and I've, this is kind of early on. This is before his face had the breakdown. But he was saying that he was, quote, putting myself through this process in a proper way. And I was just thinking of Janet from A Good Place. And I was just thinking, not a process. Not a process. Like, this is not an actual, this is not an actual therapeutic technique, right? This is just a stupid TV show in order to up your Instagram followers. And so I think you're right. He thinks that, right, he can, he can just kind of have these these flirtations and as, as if it is not going to demonstrate to her all the ways in which their relationship was fundamentally flawed to begin with. I mean, if, do we want to move on to, to Kendall and Erica? I I have a lot of questions lot in that of, area. I will say, so I was like watching this episode, right? And I'm recapping it. Cause I'm going to chat with my, my super, super bestie, Dan Paul. And I was like, this shit is so fucking grim. I thought I was like, I thought Dan and I were just going to be like, it's all going to be night vision sex and drunken pool parties. And I'm straight up, Dan. Kendall scares me. He has the stone cold eyes of someone who like eventually murders their partner. And like, it's a strong thing to say, but like he, this episode I thought was worse, even though I didn't see him have sex with anyone. No, I agree. I mean, there's a line in which he says at some point, I'm not the kind of person to make excuses, but he very clearly means it in the way that he simply just does not accept responsibility. And he does seem eerily kind of sociopathic. I mean, obviously that's how he's being, he's being edited, but right. I mean, again, look at some of these lines, right? Erica has seen something she was highly disturbed by. Like, yeah, I don't know. Did you, what do you think that she didn't like the way that you were like, sharing tacos with somebody on a Tuesday night. Like you had night vision threesomes. I loved that moment when he came back from the bonfire and you know, all the ladies are like, Oh my God, you're back. Spill the tea. And he's like, well, you know, she saw something. And there was just this like house silence with like Alexis giggling and everyone just then was like, dude, you know exactly what she saw. What the fuck are you talking about? 
So before we get into the questions we want to ask beyond the just unanswerable one, does he have a soul? I, I do want to give a small award. I know we're not really structuring around awards this week, but I want to give Nicole the award for surprising clarity when she says, text me in a couple of weeks to let me know how it's going. <laughs> As in your whole life is going to blow up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, just hit me up when those, when, when the debris hits. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. And I, I guess the other award for the, the not digging Kendall's bullshit was the woman who was braiding his hair. Tula. Tula. and, and Love she, me some Tula. I love me some Tula. Tula was just straight up. Her face was like all of our faces. My number four question in the Kendall Erica vein is, can we get more Tula? Yes, I am pro more Tula. I want Erica and Tula to leave the island together. She says, do you really want to leave the island with your girlfriend? And he, in his most psychotic, says, almost oh, definitely. <laughs> Just like, okay. Yeah. He's like, I mean, well, again. He also says in that interaction, I mean, it sounds hypocritical, but I don't think Erica can emotionally balance everything I can. AKA, I 100% can have a bunch of meaningless sex, but she can't. So here's my actual question with Kendall, because I'm, I mean, well, I have several of them here, um, even after the questions that are just in the form of, the fuck is wrong with you? Do you think there's going to be drama with Alexis? Do you think he's going to fuck that up? I think it's going to depend on what Erica ends up deciding, because I think Kendall actually plans to leave the island with Erica. That became clear to me this episode. He thinks she's going to forgive him. Um, he thinks if you repeat the phrase, there were no rules three times and tap your heels together, <laughs> everything you've done um, is erased. He's worried, though, that there might be, quote, hidden rules. Hidden rules. Don't fuck other people on television as a hidden rule. That cracked me up. He was like, I think Erica's got these hidden rules. I was like, yeah, bro, they're so fucking hidden. Who could guess what they could be? <laughs> fucking Mother. girls, am I right? Where they're like. First, they're like, nah, do whatever. And then they're like, but don't make me completely humiliated on national TV with the first person you meet in the second episode. God, bitches, am I right? Yeah. So I do think he, I think he just really like, he just wants to fuck people and have no consequences. And, you know, when Mark Wahlberg asked him at the bonfire, like, do you think she's going to forgive you? He says, definitely. So I think if Erica, <laughs> God, motherfucker. So I think if Erica were to agree to go with him, he would go. That said, I think if he feels in any way embarrassed or betrayed by Erica, by anything she does, he will try to punish her by being serious, quote unquote, with Alexis, maybe even to the point of leaving with Alexis. Because I think the one thing we won't see is Kendall leaving the island alone. Okay, so this, this results in three different small questions that I have. The first... Are Corey and Julian the princes we were promised? Simply for in the car on the way back when talking to Kendall about his plans. And Corey is like, so who are you leading on? And Kendall is just like, it's complicated. complicated. And Julian makes, I'd say my favorite face of the season, non-Chelsea watching Night Vision Sex Division. And the look on his face just be like, okay, bro. I also really enjoyed, I want to give the editors a brief award for in the first bonfire when Julian is kind of, is unpacking why he cheated on Kristen five years ago. And he said, 
I was an idiot and I was arrogant and I didn't know what I wanted. And the camera just pans on Kendall. I noticed they that too. Just give us a Kendall shot. And I'm like, all right, all right, person in the editing bay, you know what's going on. I mean, I think it speaks to kind of what you were saying earlier. Like, are the producers on Julian and Kristen's side? And I think watching this being edited, I think the producers are on Julian, Kristen, Aaron, and Corey's side. And I am too. I mean, I, again, I'm disturbingly emotionally invested in these people. And I'm like, Corey, I love you, man. Julian, you're a prince among men. Tom, you're lucky Kendall's here because he's making you look good, even when you're terrible, just by virtue of you not being Kendall. And Kendall, again, I hope you're eaten by a zoo animal. What kind of movie do you think the story of the 10 children Alexis wants with Kendall <laughs> would be like? Is this a straight, just like horror movie, Children of the Corn? Is it like a sad drama about the children like trying to move past like the bad hand they were dealt? For the sake of those children, I'm hoping it's like the boxcar children. Maybe <laughs> they just all go run away and live in a boxcar the way I always dreamed can't believe i'm gonna be the you in this scenario but i fucking hate the boxcar children like you're not actually homeless you have a rich grandfather that just was mean to you once fucking henry like do not or whoever the oldest brother is yeah i think it was henry i think ben is the baby or whatever like do not take your younger siblings to live in the fucking woods because you had a bad conversation with your rich grandfather once like is there a better distillation of white privilege and then for no reason you get to basically become the police and you solve mysteries for like 40 more books that nobody asked for that you're not even in a fucking boxcar dude that is also my critique of the boxcar children what the fuck? They're only in a boxcar for one book. You don't get to be the fucking boxcar children if you don't actually stay in the boxcar. After that, you're just like the fucking living with my rich ass uncle in a mansion children, which isn't as snappy, but it's accurate. I stopped reading halfway through the second book when I realized they weren't going back to that fucking boxcar. Strong move. Well, let me let me ask you to get us back on topic. <laughs> to get us back on topic. I mean, the real question to a certain extent, right? The ball is in two people's courts. One is is Erica. Like, is she going to make a move with this aspiring Weird Al clone named Jesse? Jesse. Or, and the other question is, it's in Nicole's court a little bit, is she willing to just basically fuck Kendall without Alexis in the room, torture relationship with Alexis, and create drama? Because I don't see another, basically, object for Kendall to fixate on unless Nicole becomes that. So, Take on either of those if you're if you're interested. Or is is Erica going to move on Jesse, and is Nicole going to allow herself to be moved on by Kendall? I'm not sure what Nicole's going to do. There was a great quote Nicole had that now I'm going to find in my four pages of notes. So there, it's like the masquerade ball, right? And the three of them are on a couch, and and Nicole says that. She will always be Kendall and Alexis's spirit animal, and that if they need a toy to let them know, which was very strange. And so I'm not sure. I haven't seen Nicole really have like aspirations <laughs> to, <laughs> to You could have stopped that at aspirations. That's like true. I haven't seen I haven't seen Nicole appear to have appreciable goals or apply logic to her choices. Because, like, if Alexis was the third wheel, you would be like, hands down, yes, Alexis is going to make a move. 
I think if Nicole ends up having sex one-on-one with Kendall, it'll be because Kendall chooses to. But do you think that she would do that? Yes. Mostly because she's so passive. Want to have a threesome with us? Sure. Want to fuck Kendall by himself? Sure. I don't know. She just doesn't seem that... She doesn't seem to have all that much agency. She is a riddle wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in an idiot, wrapped in a very revealing swimsuit. (laughs) Facts. As for Erica, nothing would give me greater pleasure than watching Kendall watch Erica have night vision sex. With a dude who looks like Weird Al. With a dude who looks like Weird Al crossed with Ralph from the Muppets. That would bring me enormous joy. I don't think that's going to happen. I do think she might end up maybe kissing him. And I think that that will also send Kendall to a really dark place because I think a little bit like Tom, yeah, he does want his girlfriend to sit in the corner while he has threesomes and then comes to collect her again. The problem he has is that both hurt and rage are already taken. (laughs) So he's going to need to find new emotions. If he's capable of emotions, which at this point is deeply unclear. I was going to say, he'd have to express any emotion at all, which would be, you know, I mean, I think he would just, for him, it's not about Erica, right? Like for him, it's just about asserting the fact that he can do whatever he wants. And this is just another way in which he's asserting that to her. He's saying, you let me cheat on you before, and now you're going to let me cheat on you on national television. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so I really, really, really hope that she starts something with Jesse just to see the way Kendall reacts to it, to help her see even more clearly what a hypocritical, hypocritical sociopathic douchebag he is, as if the world needed more evidence of that. I do feel as if Jesse may have come on just a tad bit strong when he was like, yeah, I like hanging out with you. Maybe I'll come visit you. Maybe you'll come visit me. That was kind of a a quick move on that. But I wonder if it's just that like he's so rich that just like flying out across the country is the same as like, hey, you want to go grab a drink like at that bar uptown? I hope so. I hope she leaves with rich Weird Al Yankovic. That would be the best case scenario. I mean, that's not true. I hope she leaves alone and then goes home and burns everything that Kendall owns. But I mean, what about you, Dan? Do you think she's actually gonna actually gonna make any kind of real move with Jesse? I think it it really depends on, and this is the thing we can't see because we only see the edited clips, whether she actually likes him, whether they actually have anything in common, which seems unlikely, and whether like the conversations they have go beyond the clearly like producer-induced specific reveals. Like if you think about, we'll get to Aaron and Corey in a moment, but if you think about that conversation with Aaron and Griffin on their date, where Griffin is like, He does this talking head that's like, you know, I want to get to know her. It's like, it's time to ask the hard-hitting questions. And he just rolls up like fucking Maury Povich and just being like, tell me about all the shit that's going wrong in your life. And it's like, dude, I barely know you. In a way that it's clear the producers are like, all right, kid, like, you got to pay the freight. You ain't done shit on this show and we're giving you all this free booze and hair gel. You need need to step up. Here's your, like, this is how you're going to get where you want to go. And so like those kinds of relationships that again are just like conduits for where the character is a conduit for the producer. I don't think if that's what Jesse is, I don't think anything will happen with Erica, but the wild card is you, these are actually human beings confined on an Island together. And if they actually make a connection, why not? But, and it's also, there's no way to know, like just the particular way 
Like she's just had the Kendall pulled out of her brain, right? There is this vacuum that can be filled in any number of ways, right? Like when you get off of the Kendall, are you just like, I don't want anything, right? Or are you like, I want something better, even if it's only marginally better? Yeah, that's the question. And Erica does not strike me as someone who is going to be sexual just to be vindictive. I think if, say, you know, Tom had sex with Sophia and Chelsea was maybe not even really feeling anyone, I think she 100% would at least make out with someone just like as a retaliatory gesture. And that's not Erica. Quickly on Chelsea, I was getting with Blake, I was getting some strong like early season Niles Crane vibes of just like, no, okay, Daphne, you need a hug. Let me hug you. Just like, I'm here for this hug. I'm not in any way like trying to be predatory or anything. I'm just available whenever you need a hug. Seemed to be the Dr. Blake vibe. How dare you compare <laughs> national treasure Niles Crane to Dr. Blake, the dentist. I am, I am considering leaving this podcast now. Yeah, just, I know that you've, I don't know if you've done a rewatch. I just don't know 100% that those early seasons hold up in the way that, that we might hope on the Niles-Daphne front. Look, it's not great, but I forgive him anyway, because I still think those seasons are very funny and because I have a crush on Niles. Don't we all? All right, so let's talk about, let's talk about Aaron and Corey. And, you know, I was thinking to a certain extent, these all of these people fit in. There is a kind of taxonomy of Temptation Island participants as it relates to kind of what they thought they were going to get and the way that the show makes them look. So I would say the most sympathetic people on the show almost invariably are the people who did not want to go. So, right, we see this with Erica. To a certain extent, we see this with Julian because the people who did not want to go are either the least likely to do anything incriminatory while they're there or we feel so bad for them because they're with the kind of partner who would drag them to fucking temptation island now of the instigators and this is right the people who wanted to go there is then the question of do they regret it and in that we see like kendall is the kind who does not regret it he wanted to go he is exploiting it and so he seems like a monster and then aaron is the one who immediately regrets it and I think probably Thomas is trending in that direction too. And how we separate Corey and Thomas has a lot to do with just how their faces look as well as just the kind of the kind of people that they seem to be. So my question about Aaron and Corey, because I think you're right, I think that the show is editing them, us to be sympathetic to both of them. Do you think they are a good fit as a couple? And it's a hard question to answer because we don't, we've not seen them as a couple. Like we know more about Corey and Amanda than we do about Corey and Aaron as a couple, but in Mark's words, as he's having another impromptu therapy session brought on by a hopefully not too coerced confession about abuse, are you ruining what could be the most beautiful relationship you've ever had? And, you know, all respect to the concierge from La Jolla, but do you think they're a good fit? Why or why not? It's hard to say, as you point out, because we've really literally never seen them interact. But it seems to me like Aaron is someone who's been hurt a lot. I mean, Jesus, by the time we get to her second bonfire confession, where she's basically like, my best friend died, and I concurrently was in a relationship with a man who was physically abusing me. At that point, I was like, man, not all men, but a lot of you motherfuckers are fucking terrible. 
And so I think that there is a gentleness to Corey that I think could be really wonderful for Aaron. I worry that that gentleness might just be a euphemism for stupidity. I mean, he seems very sweet and simple. I will say a line that I do want to pull out is that he's in one of the bonfires and he's like, I'm starting to realize, you know, about my self-worth and my self-love for myself. And I'm like, you fine, but you simple. Like you sweet, but you sweet. Simple. I mean, but like Aaron's not a rocket scientist. And I mean, you know, I don't know. It's not like there aren't other like kind of gentle souls out there that she could be with. But I could see that that being a quality that is good for her. And I could see Aaron being someone who's a little bit more assertive and confident being good for Corey if she's using that power for good with Corey. Like, I think she's in the past been using that to belittle him and to keep herself as kind of the dominant one in the relationship rather than using it as a way to help imbue him with that same sort of confidence. But again, like, they both seem like good people. So it really is just going to be a question of, like, all the normal questions one asks about a normal couple. Do they have fun (laughs) together? You know? Uh... (laughs) Are they compatible in the bedroom? Do they both want kids? You know, like the fucking questions you'd ask your girlfriend about her new boyfriend over drinks, right? Not like the freaking Temptation Island, like, you know, are they going to get over the threesome he had? Like, they just seem like normal good people who, like, probably should have some chats after this shit's over. So my early read was that she wanted to go to Temptation Island to leave him for a soccer player whilst upping her Instagram follows and that she's come to realize that the kinds of men on temptation Island, perhaps representative of professional athletes more than professional hotel concierges from La Jolla might be assholes. And she's realizing what she has in, in Corey. Like, is that your read as well? Or do you think that she had some other motivation for coming to this accursed place? No, I think that was it. I think she thought she was going to level up to someone better and pretty quickly realized that these people were assholes and possibly as we learn more about Aaron, possibly realize that these people represent a phylum of man she's already been with who has treated her like shit in the past. All right. So this episode ends. I mean, we get, we get another bonfire. We get Kendall saying that he still plans to stay with Erica, which cool. Good luck with that. We get, we get Tom's face. We also get the knowledge that next week they are going to be able to send their partners a 30-second video, which I have to say really encapsulates the Stockholm Syndrome that this show has built in that they're like, oh my gosh, I get to talk to my partner for 30 seconds. And by talk, I mean just send them a hostage video. (laughs) And we're supposed to be like, oh, that's so nice of you, as opposed to being like, don't you realize that you're in a jail? Like you're in a weird Hawaiian jail (laughs) while they film you and mess with your heads? So I I wanted to kind of ask this question and you can take it. You can pick anybody you want and we'll go through them however you want. Either the question, what, what is a message you think they actually will send? Or if there were no restrictions, which there kind of are, like the producers are not going to let them say things that will relieve tension or drama. But what should they say? If they could say anything they wanted, I think Aaron would say, I fucked up. Please don't fall in love with anyone else. I would like to get back together with you at the end of this. Obviously, they're not going to let her say that. And I don't know that that's what Corey would say back to her. I think Corey is not as all in getting back 
with Aaron as I think Aaron is with him. I think that they both will send generic, I'm growing, the process is working messages. I guess if we want to do it couple by couple, that's kind of how I see the two of them going. What about you? Yeah. I mean, again, what they will say is just very generic stuff about the process and the journey and, you know, they, they love each other and, and that kind of thing. I think what they, they should say, you're right. I think Aaron should be like, I'm sorry, like we shouldn't have come here. This is a mistake. And Corey should, should be like, let's have a conversation sometime. <laughs> yeah. With Chelsea and Thomas, I, I, what, what actually interests me is whether his message will have hurt or rage. Because it, if it has either, I think that could be the instigator. Because I think she might just be like, you can fuck all the way off. If you're trying to be hurt and or rageful about a little bit of pool cuddling after you put the mud on the butt, which is not a euphemism for those who didn't see the episode. That's <laughs> thing that actually happened. There was some exfoliation with some kind of mud adjacent skin applique that Thomas performed upon Sophia's ass. I think you're 110% right. My note about this was that I think Tom is going to send her a message that like blames her in some way that it's like, you are hurting me. This is on you. And I think like one whiff of him, like putting his shit on her and she is going straight back to fuck the shit out of Blake. Like, I just think she is going to be pissed and I cannot wait to see the face she makes while she watches whatever his message is. Cause you know, it's going to be epic, but I don't, what do you think Chelsea will say to him? Because I could also see her sort of having not hurt and rage, but I can see her in a very calm voice being like, you're a flirty person and I'm seeing that and maybe we shouldn't be together anymore. I don't know. It's, I think it will be something about, she has learned a lot. And it'll be clear, it'll be curious to see how opaque she is about what she has learned and that she has learned a lot about both of them. And she's looking forward to talking to them after they've completed their learning. I might have to go back and watch, to be honest. I mean, there's there's templates in prior seasons. So last, what's happening with Thomas and Chelsea is very reminiscent of what happened with, there were two women named Ashley, I believe, last season and a, and a dude named Casey in which, and again, he's the one who was also short and ridiculous and cried in a way that was not sympathetic, but just seemed pretty pathetic. And he had dragged her there thinking that she would just sit in the corner and he could get smoothie endorsements. And then she started realizing that he was an asshole and fell for this dude named Ben. And the video that she sent him was kind of like, I'm kind of realizing some stuff and yeah, the other, the other analog is, you know, what do you, what do you send after you've seen the night vision sex? There was a fantastic video last season. I'm forgetting the name of the woman who was, who saw the video of her boyfriend having a threesome last season. So many threesomes, so little time. But she was just basically like, I have seen you and I know your heart. <laughs> like she was just like, I hope that you are happy with your decisions. And I feel like we're going to get something like that from Erica. And just the level of delusion we get from Kendall is going to be fascinating. Like, is he just going to be like, hey, babe, I only have 30 seconds. So I just wanted to remind you that I love you and we said no rules. And I can't wait to see you and we said no rules. And here's a Webster's definition of no and a Webster's definition of rules. And I love you. <laughs> okay. Or, or 
Is Kendall the one who doesn't send a message? Ooh, that was Evan's move season one. And his claim, and by the way, I do have to point out if any of our listeners have actually watched the show before, he has turned out subsequently to be a colossal colossal sociopath and pathological liar. So not necessarily the best move or model. But he did explain the reason he didn't send a message was something to the tune of she deserved to hear it in a conversation. Like she deserved more than 30 seconds. I also would argue she deserved more than being handed a wicker basket that she then opened and was empty when everybody else's wicker baskets contained an iPad with a message. My suspicion is that Kendall is just going to be completely condescending. That he's just going to be like, hey, babe, I hope you're growing. I'm growing. I hope you're growing. We're all growing. This is a beautiful journey that we're growing on. No rules. Peace out. Kendall forever. I think that's possible. I mean, the number of times in this episode when Kendall was basically like, I already know who I am, so I hope she's figuring out how to be the woman she could be. I mean, he's a condescending asshole. But I think he also, like in a very unfunny, I am in no way kidding way, like I just think he is an abuser. And I think he's going to do the thing that he thinks will keep him in the most powerful position. And I think that there's a way in which not sending a video does that. But I think he also wants to pretend like he is invested in her journey, which he's obviously not. I mean, again, he's a horrible human being. And so you're probably right. He probably will send a condescending message about how there were no rules and he hopes she's really grown from seeing him fuck lots of other people. I, You know, I don't know. He's just such a fucking asshole. I'm sure he'll come up with something. I mean, this is always the thing, right? I mean, in any rhetorical situation, not to invoke the rhetorical triangle, whilst talking about Temptation Island, you have the audience, the speaker, and the subject. And the speakers in these situations complicate the purity of the relationship between the subject and the audience in that, right? Like Kendall is a sociopath, which influences the way that he communicates on any issue. Corey, bless his heart, seems a little simple. I really can't imagine he's going to do a deep, articulative dive about his emotional state and her emotional state, considering that so far the big revelations that he's come to are that he's okay and that he's kind of a catch, which, by the way, like Mark Wahlberg's support of him on that suggested maybe like Mark Wahlberg is the one who's staying up at night dreaming of Corey, which more power to everybody, everybody involved. Julian and Kristen's, it just, it breaks my heart that they only get 30 seconds. And I just... Yeah, I hope that that they think about how to articulate where they're at because they're both in such a like legitimately upset kind of place that's dealing with so much so much history. It seems possible that for their messages too, the producers will perhaps let them be a little more explicit than they typically let those messages be just because I think the arc for them for the rest of the season because there's not that much season to go is one of reconciliation. It's almost as if, like, it makes me think of how just, like, a terrible law firm has to do a certain amount of pro bono work just to, like, maintain their places in the community. So, like, 90% of their work is just, like, defending, like, people who murder puppies or, like, I don't know, like, Mitch McConnell or something. And then, and then like, but for 10%, they do, like, legitimate good work in the community. So, like, 90% of what Temptation Island producers do is, like, deeply sadistic. And they're like, all right, let's... Let's try to help these actual people in pain here. And so they'll let them kind of be communicative. I mean, again, the the situation is just that like 
what do you say in 30, 30 seconds? Like these people need to have just like an hour long conversation where they just like weep and hold each other. I mean, at 100%. I think maybe what I almost said, Erica, Erica, what you need to say is to just tell Kendall to go fuck himself. You're going to hop on every dick on the island. Um, Now, what Kristen, I think, is going to say is that she is realizing that the problems are partly with her and that maybe she will be able to trust him again. Like, I feel like all the clips Julian has seen, it's been like, if he doesn't cheat, uh, is anything going to change? And her being like, no. And I feel like this could be the shift where she says, like, actually, things are changing. Like, things are going to be different after, after we finish this wonderful journey. What's interesting, I mean, the journey is the same journey the producers have been on. I think that probably what happened is they thought they were a perfect couple for Temptation Island because it's built on this past infidelity. And everybody involved started realizing that that is not actually the issue. And so, like, that's no longer narratively interesting. Like, they probably realized, like, day one, he was not going to fuck somebody else. And then they realized day two that, like, that was not going to be really going to change anything for them. And somehow they were they were able to to get to this other, much more actually engaging arc of, of, of this relationship, which hopefully ends up all right for, for everybody involved. I was thinking what Erica should just say is just, like, just – just quote Beyonce. Just be like, I could have another you in a minute. Matter of fact, he'll be here in a minute and have like Weird Al like wave in the corner. And Kendall, I just want to see him just like completely, completely go for it. Like, you know, in the manner of, you know, like one of the dudes from Animal Control and Parks of Rec just being like, you down to clown? Like you want to, you want to bang this out and just be like, so I hope you're doing okay. Was just wondering, like, I got these two chicks who want to party. You want to roll with us? <laughs> Like you want to up it to four, like just see where it goes, see what happens, see what the journey looks like. Or like the Kendallist thing honestly would just be to like send a dick pic like <laughs> in his 30 second video. Oh God, I hate him so much. Well, we'll see what particular kind of kind of fate befalls him. Um, certainly he has no friends amongst the production staff. Like, I feel like there could be a long sequence where, like, the villa catches fire and he saves everybody's life and, like, risks himself to save, like, various small children. And still they'd just be like, nah, cut it out. Cut it out. Don't no, leave any of that in. That. We, don't, we don't need any of that. I mean, the production staff hates him. Corey clearly doesn't like him. Julian doesn't like him. I don't know what Tom thinks about him. I think the Tom-Kendall alliance will only grow. As they lean into their hurt and rage. In fact, I like them as a really terrible ebony and ivory rap duo called Hurt and Rage. (laughs) (laughs) I support that if that happens. But uh, yeah, it's just funny to watch the dynamic of, you know, like the women growing closer and closer and the men like clearly splintering into the like total sociopathic douchebag cohort and the normal human beings cohort. Well, not to like tell you that about, you know, just the rituals of men, but in my experience, that kind of splintering happens pretty, pretty naturally (laughs) after like one or two beers. You're like, oh, okay. You're just, you're just terrible. Cool. Cool. So, so I guess we'll just talk about baseball. Maybe leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) Wise, Wise words from Dan Paul about the, the, the mysteries of male friendship there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Did you have any final uh, final episode thoughts? 
let me just go over my ludicrous amount of notes and see if there's some something that that I wanted to to leave us with anybody that we didn't quite talk to. There was a moment of levity I enjoyed where after the the ass writing, Sophia says that she felt like today was really a turning point in their relationship. Uh, so as ever, she continues to read that as profound and uh, moving and important, and she is delusional. I I cannot tell you how much I want to one day read the memoir of Thomas and Sophia's children about how they were sat down and told the beautiful love story. <laughs> Of their parents meeting on Temptation Island and how it was love from first booty massage. <laughs> what, a, what a magical moment. What a magical moment. Well, we'll catch we'll catch up with all of you next week. And just a heads up for the seven of you listening that we will also be adding to our podcast schedule recaps of Top Chef. So if you've been enjoying us talking about dating without a lot of knowledge in the last however many years – and you're excited to hear two people who really do not know much about gourmet cuisine talk about it as if it is both super high stakes and we have a lot of knowledge, then boy, are you in the right place. Man, if you've enjoyed my hot takes on like scuba diving, get ready for how I feel about various food groups. I mean, I am ready to have opinions. Yeah. So if you like ketchup, maybe don't tune in because you're going to hear some just straight hate speech. Every episode. Well, don't forget to send us um, comments, questions, feedback of any kind on at batch underscore face at Twitter or resting batch face one word at Gmail. And as always, if we ever receive any feedback, we will happily spotlight it on the podcast for the other six listeners to enjoy. Thank you for tuning in and we'll, we'll, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.